These are the days of unleavened bread. And obviously, in respect to all of God's holy days, the days of unleavened bread have a wonderful, specific meaning in respect to God's plan of salvation. It is a time that we are reminded that we need to be coming out of the world, coming out of sin, and going, heading, as it were, in a right direction, away from the ways of the world and toward the kingdom and family of God. Yes, these days, picture what, in a manner of speaking, is our journey out of sin. And that is the subject that I am dressing, will be, will continue to address in this uh, time period here. We're all familiar, in a manner of speaking, that, or of a statement that says that life is a journey. And life is a journey. And for us, called to be among the first fruits in the kingdom and family of God, these days picture our journey coming out of the way of the world by and through God's Spirit going forward, by and through the continuing ongoing help of God the Father and Jesus Christ, going forward to an awesome reality for the future, and that is the coming kingdom and family of God. When we are called at that time, when Christ does return to have been born into the kingdom and family and to be serving with and under the living Jesus Christ in making it possible for mankind to have the complete, godly, total information and education that they need so that they can be taught in a very bold and specific way then how to come out of sin, how to start a journey that will lead them out of the way of the world into the coming kingdom and family of God. In Romans 6 and verse 23, we are told very plainly that the wages of sin, that is the way of the world, the way the world goes, the way of witting or unwitting, disobedience to God to God the Father, to Jesus Christ, and to the commandments, that the wages of going the opposite way, going the way of the world, is death. But the gift of God, it says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So obviously, the way the world has been going under the the leadership, as it were, of Satan the devil and all of the demons for the past 6,000 years in the overview, the way of the world leads only to death. God's way, the way of coming out of sin, the way that is pictured or emphasized by our keeping of the days of unleavened bread, it is the way to life. It is the only way that there ever has been or ever will be in respect to going toward peace, happiness, joy, and abundance that is awaiting all who will make the journey out of sin and by and through God's power and spirit complete that journey till the time that we would enter into the kingdom and family of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a very familiar scripture We read in verse 11 regarding ancient Israel. Now, all of these things happened unto them, it says, for examples, and they are written for our admonition 
And notice here it says, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now, when this was first written and recorded, certainly uh, people thought at that time that the end of the world or the end of an age had come. But obviously, we know and understand now in this day and time that obviously things did not happen 2,000 years ago. But it doesn't mean that we're not to be very much aware of the reality of these days because truly we are living at the end of an age. And so the things of ancient Israel, the things that they did do or did not do and things that they failed in or even if occasionally they did something that was right for a short period of time, it was never that ancient Israel, as a nation in total, ever really obeyed God or ever, ever really followed the wonderful opportunity that they, came, that they had to come out of Egypt, to come out of a type of sin, to come away from bondage, and to go forward toward what would have been truly the good life under the leadership of the one who became Jesus Christ. So again, we're reminded that these, <clears throat> these things were written for us now, not just something for us to read in some type of a daily Bible study and just read over and forget about, but something that we need to take to heart, especially during these days of unleavened bread. And so verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And that certainly can be a challenge and a temptation to any of us on any given day that we are mindful and aware that not just during the days of unleavened bread, but certainly we emphasize it more, that we are to be mindful of overcoming on a daily basis, utilizing God's Spirit and remembering that we are to renew the inward man. Renew the inward person day by day. It doesn't say week by week or occasionally if we would desire, but that day by day we are to be renewing the inward man that is God's Holy Spirit. And if we do this, as we continue to do this, then we will be able to be focused on our calling and our opportunity. That is to be taking full advantage of our opportunity now to come out of, away from, to remain separate, that is, in mind and heart and in thought and in our direction spiritually, to come out of the ways of this world and to go forward to the kingdom and family of God. Ancient Israel, they had a calling and they had a responsibility And we will see as we go through the sermon that ancient Israel was a physical type of what we are to be doing spiritually. And so the calling and the opportunity in the physical sense of the word that ancient Israel had typifies what our calling and our responsibility is in this day and time to continue to come out of this world and to go forward. 
Keeping in mind also that the days of unleavened bread, the seven days of unleavened bread, with seven denoting completeness, that our coming out of sin, it isn't just a one-day situation for us or a one-week or a one-year. It is indicative of a lifetime. As long as God blesses us with the opportunity to know the truth now, to be preparing to be kings and priests under the great high priest Jesus the Christ, who will be returning as the Lord of lords and King of kings. It is an awesome opportunity to be among the first fruits now. And we need to, and we need to take full advantage of this each and every day of our lives and specifically remembering these things during these days of unleavened bread. Ancient Israel, they were called to come out of Egypt. That is a type of sin. They were to come out of Egypt. They were to go forward, not looking back. They were not to be desiring to go back to what they had there, which really in respect to them being in bondage in regard to the physical basic necessities of life and or things to enjoy life, they really had nothing. They were in captivity. They were in bondage. So they were to come out and to go forward, not looking back. And then they were to inhabit or to be able to go in and by and through God's power to take over the promised land to inherit, in that sense of the word, to take over, to occupy the promised land. Again, they were to come out of Egypt. They were to go forward, not looking back, and they were to enter into the promised land, to occupy it, and by and through the power of Jesus Christ, the God of the Old Testament, to have a fulfilling of the promises that God had given to bring them out of bondage and into liberty and into the good life, physically speaking. Well, you see, brethren, by the same token, spiritually, we are called to come out of this world, to come out of the way of sin, to come out of the way of the breaking and transgressings of God's law and going forward toward the kingdom and family of God, by and through God's Spirit, living a life the way that God the Father and Jesus Christ would expect us to do and the way that we know and we have already proven and we should be continually reminding ourselves that we have proven what truth is and that we are not to desire the way of this world, but we are to desire what is coming in the not too distant future when Jesus Christ returns. So again, we are to come out of the way of this world. We are to do a 180, as it were, from going the way the world normally goes and go in the opposite direction. Not in the way of breaking of the commandments, but of the keeping of the commandments by and through God's power and help day by day. So we are to come out of the world, but not just remain, as it were, in some stationary position. We are to be going forward doing the work. So again, we are to come out of this world, I, out of Egypt, a type of sin, as it were, and we are to go forward to be able to accomplish what God desires for us to do, what he plainly instructs us to do, and go forward so that we can inherit the ultimate land of promise, and that is the soon coming, not too many years down the road, it would certainly appear, 
the coming of the kingdom of God to be established here on this earth, which in the overview, inheriting the kingdom in the family of God, being a part of the kingdom and the family of God, is the ultimate in respect to inheriting the land of promise or which we know and understand that for us, ultimately, for the family of God, it will be inheriting all of an awesome, endless universe. And so we need to be truly encouraged and inspired in respect to the opportunity to know the truth now and to be able to go forward and to be among the first fruits, heading toward not something that that still in its very end, if it would be physical, would still, it would be corruptible, it would not last, but going forward toward the kingdom and family of God. And so, once again, God's plan of salvation depicts a journey out of sin. And ultimately, for all in the future, both for those in the second resurrection or during the millennial reign of Christ and then the second resurrection, all that will desire. And God is going to make a way and provide for all who would desire to know the truth as opposed to traditions of men. God is going to to provide a wonderful opportunity and they will have full knowledge. Full knowledge is how to start their journey and more than just starting it, to complete that journey, coming totally and completely out of sin And to that time when they will be ready by and through, having utilized God's Holy Spirit for long periods of time, that they will have proven to God and God the Father, Jesus Christ, they look on the heart, and we as part of the kingdom and family of God among the first fruits at that time during the millennium, and then during the last great day, we will be able to ascertain which truly is in someone's heart and mind. We can only look on the outside today in a manner of speaking. We do not, we cannot see what people are thinking in their minds, so to speak. We may have a clue in respect to their actions. We do know by their fruits, we can have an indication of what a physical human being may be thinking or may be desiring. But during the time when people in the future, in the millennium, and during the last great day, when we have the opportunity to serve them and to help them, and our calling is one of service. It isn't so that we can do something for ourselves. It isn't so that we can benefit, as it were, of just things for us, for our immediate family, or for a few friends and relatives. It is for the benefit of all mankind that this journey out of sin, that by and through God's mercy and calling, that we have started, that we will go forward, not just for us, but for all that will be called in the future and have the wonderful opportunity that we have now to know the truth, to know the difference between traditions of men, the deception of Satan the devil, and the awesome, wonderful reality of what the future holds for all that will reject the way of the world, that will not just start their journey out of sin with proper guidance and instruction, but will continue on that journey until they have completed the journey by and through the power of God the Father and Jesus Christ and having teachers under the living Jesus Christ that truly care for all of mankind and are more 
more than just happy, as it were, to be there ourselves, but to be there to serve mankind in general under the living Jesus Christ during the millennium and then in the last great day. God is a faithful God. He is faithful. Jesus Christ is faithful. And what God created man for, or the very reason that God created man, as he said, let us now make man in our image and after our likeness, as we would read there in Genesis chapter 1. So God is creating a masterpiece. And the masterpiece, of course, was not the clay model. The clay model is only the beginning stages of the completion of the masterpiece. Now, when Jesus Christ returns, the first fruits that will be born into the kingdom and family of God that will have completed their journey out of sin as such, they, of course, at that time, they will be able to be totally reflective of the end result or the first total completion of God's plan. For mankind, that is, the first fruits will have been born into the kingdom and family of God, and they will be complete, completed, created, as it were, now composed of the very spirit of God the Father and Jesus Christ. And so, God knows why he created man. God has never changed his mind about his purpose and plan for mankind, and he never will. We have the wonderful and awesome opportunity to fit into and to be reflective of God's awesome plan of salvation. That is our option, not an option that we should say, well, I want to do this versus that. But we have the option now where the rest of the world in general, they are not being called now as we are aware. But we do have the option and the privilege of taking full advantage of our calling, and we only know the truth ourselves because God has called us out of this world into the marvelous light of his truth. But God remembers his promises. God's awesome plan of salvation remains in complete effect, as it were. God will not ever fail to remember his promises, and God will complete his awesome plan of salvation for any and all of mankind that truly desires God's, God's good and wonderful way. In Exodus chapter 3, in respect to God remembering his promises, let's notice in Exodus chapter 3, And in verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. This is the occasion there of the burning bush. Coming on down in verse 6, we read, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God does not forget his plan. He does not forget the ones that he has called. He does not forget the ones, even though they may have lived and died thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, whatever the case might be at any given moment. God remembers those, and in a manner of speaking, he calls them as if the end result of their journey, 
They're just now sleeping, those that are dead in Christ, just now sleeping. But God remembers them as if the final event of the resurrection back to not just physical human life, but into the very spirit-composed family of God. God remembers them with the wonderful and awesome certainty that he will complete And those that are dead in Christ, and in that sense of the word, they have completed their journey, awaiting only the awesome reward from, that is, when Jesus Christ returns and the resurrection from the dead. So again, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. He doesn't say I'm the God that used to be before they died. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And... Verse 7, and the Lord said, God does remember, just as we are reading here right now. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. So God remembered his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he was coming down now to deliver the people of Israel, the nation, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it doesn't say that I will try to deliver them. I'm going to try my best, and if I'm not too uh, old or feeble, as I jokingly say some sometimes, God doesn't have to depend on Social Security or other things like human beings. And so if this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen, then perhaps I will be able to help you. No, just the emphatic statement that he is coming down to deliver them. And notice, more than just delivering them out of the hands of the Egyptians, he said, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large land. Plenty for all, a large land, unto and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. That is representative of the good life. Not just some hand-to-mouth existence, but the good life. Bringing them out of bondage, out of captivity, into the good life. And so God is calling us now, out of the way of this world, and toward the awesome, wonderful deliverance into the kingdom and family of God. A question that occurs as we read these examples of ancient Israel, and certainly the question has crossed perhaps uh, all of our minds from time to time, did Israel, did ancient Israel really want deliverance? Now, God remembered his promises, and God was coming down to deliver them. But did they want to be delivered? We need to ask ourselves also, do we want to be delivered from the ways of this world? Or are we still longing for, as it were, and looking back to certain aspects of the society of men and not really wanting to totally and completely come out of this world, come out of the way of sin, and be, although we will never be perfect humanly, physically in this life, but in our hearts and minds we truly desire, and renewing that desire each and every day, to come out again of this world and to be dedicated to going forward toward the kingdom and family of God. 
So again, though, I would ask the question or pose the question, did ancient Israel really want to come out of Egypt? And so we read in chapter 14 of Exodus that uh, an interesting statement here in verse 11. And they said unto Moses, that is the children of Israel, and after they were facing certain tests, and they said, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, this is still right in in the time frame, very short time frame. Weeks had not gone by, months had not gone by, and they saw the miracles that God had worked that the miracles that God did in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. But now because they were hemmed in, as it were, between the Egyptian army that had been following them, that did pursue them, and where they were there with the sea in front of them and nowhere to go. And so what were the first thoughts in their minds? It wasn't a thought, well, God has already done all these great, marvelous, miraculous things. And he surely, this is no obstacle to him, but they quickly, any faith or even the faith, you might say, not walking by faith, but uh, being able to walk beside, even being able to walk beside was not serving them well at all at that time. And immediately they said, well, God couldn't have brought us out for any good purpose. He only brought us out because there wasn't enough space in Egypt for the graves of all of us. Now, they were told in verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. This is the admonition for us each and every day of our lives, because there are tests and there are trials. Uh, Thankfully, still in this day and time, unless it might be something of severe illness unto death or something like that, we really are not facing hard or difficult challenges today or in this day and time. But certainly that is going to come and the intensity of persecution is going to happen. But the admonition is the same. And in a manner of speaking, we need to take full advantage of the opportunity that we have now to continue to be doing a work in relative peace and safety, knowing that the days ahead are only going to become increasingly harder to bear. But the admonition for us each and every day of our lives is to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, I can do this really well, except when I'm challenged. And then perhaps like all of us, perhaps we think that we are on top of the situation in a given day or a given week. But then if there's a change in the trial or the test, then I know myself I have a challenge rather than being or having peace of mind and just thanking God for having peace of mind and for the care and deliverance. I find myself saying, oh, I want this trial to be over. And I'm not really in my heart and in my mind standing still to see the salvation of the Lord. But in the overview, this is what all of us must do. And we must continually, or in an ongoing manner, bind through God's Spirit, more and more we need to be able to do this from the heart. 
and to have the peace of mind that we need and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Ancient Israel, they failed the first test when they were challenged. And we will notice, and we do certainly remember in the overview, sadly, ancient Israel was failing basically every test that they encountered. So we read in chapter 16, and in verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel... Now, this was like a month, as it were, after they had, uh, or from the Passover when they had departed. It mentions here in verse 1 regarding the 15th day of the second month. Verse 2 again, And the whole congregation murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and notice the refrain. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the Lord in the land of Egypt. So again, no real understanding or appreciation for what was being done. That here they had been in bondage for a long period of time, and they were being brought out of bondage, not just brought out with nothing, we might say, with just their shirt or the clothing on their back, but they had been blessed by God to spoil or to get their wages, as it were, for all the time spent there in Egypt working as slaves. So they came out with a high hand, but quickly all of this was forgotten. Remember, these things are written for our admonition, upon on whom the ends of the age now is come. So they really projected no faith at all. Regardless of what God did, always was the might say the crying and the moaning and the complaining that God only brought them out. So he wanted to kill them. He wanted to kill them according to the way they were thinking or the way they phrased things. He wanted to kill them both there in Egypt. And the only change was he still wanted them to die. They were just not going to die in Egypt. Let's go, turning forward to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. And we read here, verse 1, All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Now, they had brought up, been brought up to the very entryway as such into the promised land. They had sent out scouts or spies, as it were into the promised land to check to see if what God had promised them, that they were going to be inheriting or be able to conquer by and through God's power, come in and take over a land promised to them, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Symbolic, again, of the good life, not some hand-to-mouth existence. So... An evil report, as we know, we're familiar with what is recorded here in chapter 13. And so an evil report was brought back, and immediately there was no faith. They had seen all of the miracles that God had provided, and yet it meant nothing to them. So once again, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel, notice all of them. It was a sentiment that went through, we could use the expression, the whole congregation, the whole nation. 
And they murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And again, the sad refrain, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. God did not bring ancient Israel out of the land of Egypt for any other reason other than for them to go forward by and through God's power, go forward, enter into, occupy the promised land, and to have the good life, an abundant good life. And God has not called us for anything, any reason other than it is his full intention for us to come through these days that is a lifetime, our journey out of sin, reflecting the days of unleavened bread in our lives and coming out of sin and, to going, and going forward to the very entering into the kingdom and the family of God among the first fruits. The interesting thing is that although they were able, that is, ancient Israel was able to walk by sight. We, of course, today, we walk by faith. They were able to walk by sight, and they still didn't believe God. <clears throat> but we, even though we are called to walk by faith now, <clears throat> it is God's will and purpose <clears throat> that we go forward <clears throat> never in any way forgetting the reality of God's promises and more than the reality of the promises the reality that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of power, upholding all things by the word of his power, all of an awesome, endless universe, all being upheld through the word of his power. And so we can walk and we must walk, and God encourages us to walk in faith, never doubting that what God has promised to us he will be able to abundantly accomplish this in our lives if we do allow that. In Leviticus chapter 26, interesting statements are made here in the reality of what ancient Israel could have had if they had believed God. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 26. And we will read, first of all, in verse 2, says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I'm the Lord. Then verse 3, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. So here we're reminded, number one, of the Sabbath day and keeping of the Sabbath day, which does reveal who God is, that God is the creator, life giver, and sustainer. And so, first of all, in our ongoing journey out of sin, we have to be, we have to know the true God. And we are reminded of who the true God, the great creator, life giver, and sustainer is as we keep the weekly Sabbath in a very thankful and appreciative way. And then as we do this, as we repent of our sins, then of course our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we can go forward having our sins forgiven, our past sins by and through the blood of Jesus Christ, and continuing to go forward toward a promised land that is beyond our fondest dreams, we might say, in imagination, but going forward to something that will occur because God is fully and totally and completely able to provide what he has said that he would. And, we, and notice here what ancient Israel was 
promised. Verse 4, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield or increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach into the vintage, or that is, unto the harvesting of the grapes, and the vintage shall reap unto sowing time again, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. These are the, th- the or this statement here is reflective of what is promised to mankind in the millennium. So ancient Israel could have had truly a millennial setting in respect to their physical life from the very beginning. We might say from day one, if they had truly believed God and had taken God at his word, and certainly they should have or they had ever reasoned every reason to, in respect to being able to see the things with their own eyes. Verse 6 says, And I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. And so notice here that in respect to what ancient Israel could have had, they would not have had to have had a standing army as it were, to go out and fight their battles for them, God would have fought all of the battles for ancient Israel. So ancient Israel could have had truly the good life, the abundant good life in a way that the world, in the overview, no nation has ever known. But of course, they didn't believe God. We are called, though, to believe God. And we're here today. We're keeping these days of unleavened bread because we do believe God. Now, I have said somewhat tongue-in-cheek and jokingly at times in our, at different times in the past to make a point that uh, I could understand why that ancient Israel did not want to leave the land of Egypt. They had full-time jobs. There were no layoffs. And uh, they uh, weren't killing all of their children, only the boys. So here, they were able to work, quote-unquote, seven days a week. They were on call, you might say, seven days a week, using an expression, 24 hours a day. In other words, they were working like what they were, and that is slaves, and they were being given only the minimum necessities regarding food and clothing and shelter, as it were. And so here, why were they wanting to cling to Something that, in essence, on the very best day, they were still in bondage with only receiving only the minimum requirements of life. And as I mentioned, so they had these full-time jobs. They didn't have to worry about layoffs. And they only killed the boys. So again, reading what ancient Israel, how they fought, how they acted, how they reacted, and not really being appreciative. They weren't thankful. There was never a day that they as a nation really thanked God for bringing them out of bondage into liberty, into the good life. And so they rejected the wonderful good life that they could have had that would have been like a millennial setting if they had believed God. I heard a story once before that, again, is indicative of the mindset, you might say, of ancient Israel. 
that they really, they wanted certain blessings, but they didn't want to give up or they didn't want to cut ties with uh, what, with the things that they had been used to. I heard a story one time, and I'm sure it's just a humorous story, but with a, uh, a foundation of, you might say, reality in the way that people might think that would cause us to think. And this was about a gentleman uh, who perhaps he liked to drink uh, a bit too much, and they were touring a distillery. And I guess perhaps it was a distillery where that they were making, or that is that they were creating and, and bottling perhaps what his favorite whiskey was. But as the story went, that while they were touring the, the plant, that he fell into or jumped into a vat, a huge vat of whiskey. And so the question then was, well, what happened when if he fell into or jumped into this huge vat of whiskey? That, of course, would be very, very dangerous. Said, so was there anyone around to help him? And were they able to help him get out? Said, well, the reality was there were several people around that were willing and desiring to help him, but he managed to fight them all off until he went under. <laughs> In other words, he, wa- he was where he wanted to be, even though he was going to drown, I guess, in his the way he was thinking, he would drown happy if he was in a vat of whiskey. Well, in that kind of humorous uh, joke there and or story, it is sadly a reality. Too much in the lives of mankind and even for us at times in the very church of God. We become too satisfied with the things that are around us and we do not want to leave or turn back and go away from what uh, something that we might desire or something that seems to be just a bit easier for us to do or more enticing at the moment. But we have to come out of sin. We must complete the journey. Completing the journey halfway will accomplish nothing. Many of us, of course, having been blessed to be part of God's church for decades in any number of cases, and we remember what happened after Mr. Armstrong died. And there came a moment in time, not too many years after that, that between 70 and 80% of the church or of the church members simply turned around and went right back into the world. They very quickly, just as ancient Israel was guilty of, that modern day, even those that had been part of the very church of God were not heeding the admonition that is given to us, that ancient Israel failed because they never came out of, in their heart, in their mind, they never came out of Egypt, they never came out of sin. And so sadly, many, many people that we we knew And certainly it was multiple thousands went right back into the world. Going halfway, going 90% of the way, even going 99% of the way in our journey out of sin will never accomplish the goal. We must complete the journey. But God encourages us that he is there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remembers the promises. God the Father remembers the promises. And God is looking to give in completeness the kingdom to his family. 
Yes, every good and perfect gift is from above, as we read in James. James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, God is totally and completely committed to leading us forward on our journey and our completing the journey. God's heart and mind, Christ's heart and mind and desire for us is nothing less, not one iota less than completing the journey. Now, we have been talking somewhat in the overview regarding ancient Israel and the fact that they failed, and they did fail. Ancient Israel failed miserably, and I'm sure most of us, we know and understand why they did fail. But let's sum this up from God's Word. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7, and this is where that Stephen was preaching, as it were, an inspired sermon here to those that were tradition of men, believers, religious leaders, whatever, and they didn't want to hear the truth of God's word. They wanted their own way. And so we read, though, as it was summed up, why that ancient Israel failed, and that is here in Acts 7, and down in verse 39. It says, To whom our fathers, that is, ancient Israel, would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts, notice, in their hearts, turn back to Egypt. And the lesson here for us is, there may be times that we may be able to fake something in a physical manner, and we may appear to still be on the straight and narrow, we might say, that we are totally committed to God, to God the Father, to our calling, and to his good way. And it may appear that we are following that way, but in our hearts, even if in our hearts and in our minds we turn back to desiring and wanting the way of the world, that's the day if we do that. And hopefully none of us from this moment onward, with God's help, hopefully none of us will ever get caught up in this type of attitude and frame of mind Because on the day that our heart does not want the kingdom and family of God, on that day, we will cease to grow in grace and knowledge. On that day, we will cease to be making progress on our journey out of sin. And so, we need to keep in mind that God's way, is the only way, the only way to the truly good life, to life eternal, God's way. Let's go back to Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 14 this time. As we are continuing to think about the example, the poor, the bad examples of ancient Israel and how they were written for our admonition. And we are not to do as they did, but to do the opposite by and through God's Spirit. So in Numbers 14, we read, and we had read this just a bit earlier, but notice, I did not read, we read verses 1 and 2, verse 3, 
And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives, our children should be a prey? So what they were saying, well, it's bad enough for us. It's bad enough that we, we are the men, we are adults. It's bad enough that we have to encounter these things. But think about our poor little children. Meaning, obviously, God was not thinking about their poor little children. God was not thinking about their wives. That God somehow was unmindful of of challenges that were there. And so they said, verse 4, and they said one to another, Let us make us a captain and let us return into Egypt. And sadly again, even in God's church, we have seen from time to time that there were people that though they may have been faking it as it were or putting on a front or acting that they were still interested in God's way up to a given point of time. But then in some cases they made themselves a captain and or other people would encourage them maybe by their actions to do this or that and Whenever we are going away from the main body of Christ, when we're going away from the entity, from the church entity, the living church of God that is doing the work of God in a truly powerful way, under Dr. Meredith and other leaderships in the church today, anyone that truly has eyes to see and ears to hear will know that there is no other group on the face of the earth that is doing more or where we as individuals would have a better opportunity to be going forward, doing a work, coming out of sin and making progress toward the kingdom and family of God than in the living church of God. And although there is the the siren song or the call, you might say, from time to time, and there will be people not in a right attitude that will say, well, let's do this or let's do that. No, all they're really doing They are making themselves another captain to turn and go back into the ways of this world, into the ways of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, to one extent or another. We are not to do that. We must not do that. And we do not have to do that. And if we keep in mind again the fact that God the Father is on his throne, Jesus Christ at his right hand of power, and they have all We need never fear that we are on the right track. And again, the leadership in God's church and living church of God, Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames and others, they have proven through the years where their heart is. And their heart is in doing the work of God. And we must do that. It wasn't enough for ancient Israel to simply walk, as it were, out to the border of Egypt. They had to keep going on into the land of promise. It isn't enough for us to just be doing a minimum, as it were. We must, by and through God's help and his spirit each and every day, as best we can be doing a maximum to support this work, to do the work, to finish the work. And remember what it says in Matthew chapter 24 in respect to what will trigger, as it were, the return of Christ. It says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. 
Yes, God can bring about conditions on the world scene in respect to the king of the north and the king of the south or the final resurrection of the Roman Empire. He can bring about those things more, more quickly or he can slow them down. But the ultimate reality is what is going to trigger the return of Jesus Christ is when this work is accomplished according to the will and purpose of God the Father and Jesus Christ. And so... A familiar scripture, brethren, in Matthew 6 and in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Ancient Israel's heart, their treasure, was back in the land of Egypt. They never left it in their hearts. They never left the way of the world. They never left desire for men's way. By extension, Satan's way. They never lost that desire. They never completely surrendered themselves to the will and purpose of God. In other words, they never came out in their hearts. And so their treasure was still back in Egypt in the heart. And that's where their actions remained. They followed the way, the dictates of their hearts where their treasure was. We must never, never, doesn't mean it's ever going to be easy. Remember, Jesus Christ said that in the world, he said, you will have tribulation. He didn't say, look, once you start trying to obey me, once you are willing to give your life, your whole being, by and through the help of my Father's Spirit, of the Spirit of God the Father, of Jesus Christ, that Once you are willing to do it, then you don't have to do anything else and it will be easy. No. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But he said, and he wants us to know this and understand this, that though in the world we will have tribulation, he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Christ is the first of the firstfruits born of the Spirit once again after he had emptied himself and given his life for us, an atonement for us, a covering of his blood. He was resurrected not just back to a physical life as we know, but the first one to be born then back into the kingdom of God, to have been raised from the dead and born of the Spirit back into the very kingdom and family of God. He pioneered the way. It's a perfect way. He has provided perfect leadership. And yes, in the world, we do have. And we will have tribulation. But brethren, God wants us to know that we are to be in our hearts and our minds confident, to be of good cheer because Jesus Christ has overcome the world and so can we. Don't ever doubt it. Not for one moment, don't ever doubt that as Christ has overcome the world, he can lead us forward to the completion of our journey and the complete overcoming of the world. So let's have our treasure. Let's have our treasure always in the kingdom and family of God. And if we have our treasure there, we will be thankfully and gratefully each and every day of our lives doing whatever we can in support of the very work of God.
to him that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end. Remember the admonition. To him, to them, to you, brethren, or to me, to any that will overcome and do the work by and through God's power, by and through his spirit, he will give us power over the nations. And we will rule them with a rod of iron. We will have power to rule in completeness. We will be able to rule perfectly for the benefit of those that we are serving. And what a wonderful and awesome time that will be when we will have completed our journey out of sin, but not just for us, but for those that we will be serving in the millennium during the last great day and beyond. And so let's ask ourselves the question, how many of us are coming out of sin? How many of us are going forward and doing the work? And how many of us are truly desiring to inherit the ultimate promised land, and that is the kingdom of God? Let's turn to Numbers chapter 31. I want to address an aspect here regarding ancient Israel and how many of ancient Israel, of every individual, as it were, that had been called out of or taken out of or brought out of the land of Egypt, how many could have entered the promised land? How many could have come out and gone forward and gone on into the land of promise, which would have been like a millennial setting? Well, notice here, first of all, in Numbers 31... And this is a case here regarding the Midianites. And God gave the instructions that they were to go out and war against the Midianites because of what the Midianites did in the past. Certainly, I'm not going to to take the time here to read this whole chapter. I would encourage you to. But there are a couple of things that we need to be mindful of, of what occurred here. They were to go out. A small army, as it were, was formed. A small army was formed, and they were to go out and fight against what was, in essence, a nation with just a very small army. And, of course, they were told to do this because this was God's instruction. And let's notice briefly what occurred after they had gone out. They won the battle, and here and In verse 32 of Numbers 31, and the booty being the rest of the prey which the men of war had caught. And notice here, 600,000 and 70,000 and 5,000 sheep. So here were hundreds of thousands of animals and of people, just young girls that uh, had never known a man in a sexual way. And 30 and 2,000 persons in all, All of these were taken as booty after they had won, as it were, the battle. Specifically here in verse 49, notice what, uh, if we think about it, is something that is astounding. It would be in this day and time for this to occur if a war had been fought. 
but it is encouragement for us in respect to God's power and ability to deliver. Verse 49, And they said unto Moses, Your servants have taken the sum of the men of war, which are under our charge, and there lacks not one man of us. How many were killed in this endeavor? According to God's will and purpose, how many soldiers were lost? And it was a small army going against a much, much larger army. How many were lost? Not one. The lesson, brethren, for us is in our journey out of sin, it is God's will and purpose not that not a single one that he is called be lost. Not a single one. Understand this. God's will and plan and purpose is for us to come out of this world, to go forward, taking full advantage of our calling and going all the way to the time of the seventh trumpet and the return of Jesus Christ. No, not one was lost. How many could have entered the promised land? How many? Obviously, I think we're already thinking about the answer because God did not lack in power in any way at any time to bring each and every one out of bondage, out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and notice here again a representative or that is a representation of the power of God. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5. And I've led you 40 years into the wilderness. Or 40 years in the wilderness, your clothes have not waxen old, and your shoe is not waxen old upon your foot. Notice, he led them all of this time. He led them all of this time. Now, it may have been difficult, especially we might say, I say this tongue-in-cheek on the ladies, that they weren't able to get new shoes, as it were, not that they needed them. In 40 years, they weren't able to go shopping. But you see, there was no problem in respect to God providing for them. And so, in chapter 31 here of Deuteronomy, the instructions... In verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he, He it is. It's God that is going before us. Jesus Christ has pioneered and paved the way in perfection. And so we are to be going forward that God was going to go with them. And so we read, In verse 7, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. Verse 8, And the Lord, he it is that does go before you, he will be with you, he will not fail you, nor forsake you. That is a promise from God to us. This isn't just written in respect to ancient Israel or to any other time and with us excluded. It is written for us right today, and we are to have good courage and go forward doing the work, and we will enter the kingdom and family of God. Now, I want to briefly address 
something here regarding Joshua. In Numbers chapter 14, and let's go back there briefly, Numbers chapter 14. And there were two that had gone to spy out the land, or they were scouts, as it were, to see what the land was like, and that was, of course, Joshua and Caleb. And they brought back a good report. And our reports, brethren, always, to any that would ask us of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear, is that our calling toward the kingdom and family of God, that everything that has been promised is there and more. And we need to be spokespeople if we are asked a question, as it were, in assuring others that the promises of God are sure, that God's promises will never fail. He will never fail us if we desire His good way and are going forward by and through His Spirit. And so we read here that Caleb, he made a statement in verse 8, If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it To us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Again, it wasn't a desert area. All, not just the necessities of life, but an abundance awaited. And so this was what Caleb was saying. Let's go in. God has called us to do this. We can do it. God will not fail us. God will not fail us. Remember Philippians In uh, chapter 1 and verse 6, we're told to be confident of this very thing, that he that has begun the good work in us, and that is Jesus the Christ, God the Father and Jesus Christ, or through Jesus Christ, he that has begun the good work in us will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And if it is performed unto the day of Jesus Christ, his return, that is the same as saying it is performed forever because it will be on that day that our journey will be completed. It will be on that day that we will be born into the kingdom and family of God. And so let's remember that God the Father can perform this good work in us unto the very coming of Jesus the Christ. Now, briefly as we move toward a close, let's consider our calling and our opportunity and our responsibility. It is a calling. It is an opportunity. It is a responsibility. And brethren, with all our heart and with all of our minds, each and every day, not just during these days of unleavened bread, but each and every day of our lives, we must have the desire to come out of this world to go forward to the land of promise, that is to enter into the kingdom and enter into life eternal in the kingdom and family of God. And we must desire it with all of our hearts. It can never be some secondary desire. We must never put anything before God the Father and Jesus Christ, before their calling us and the wonderful opportunity we have to go forward not just for ourselves, but also to be a service for all mankind. We must, desi- we must desire it with all of our hearts. And let's notice the attitude of Caleb, who remembered what had been promised to him. And let's go to Joshua now, the book of Joshua. 
And moving here toward a close, Joshua chapter 14. In Joshua chapter 14, and the story here of, of Caleb, that he never changed his mind. He was called, as it were, out of sin, out of Egypt. He knew that there was a land of promise. He knew that there was something of value, that the real treasure that they were going to be receiving, in that sense the word spiritual or physically speaking at that time, he knew that the promises were real and that these promises were awaiting Israel at the end of their journey out of Egypt. And so we read here in Joshua chapter 14 and regarding Caleb when the lamb was being divided. And we read in verse 6, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. And so he was reminding Joshua of what had been promised both to Joshua and to him, to Caleb. He said, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart not faking something in some physical way. He reminded here, and he was reminding Joshua and talking to him, what that had occurred, how that the congregation, the other ten, had brought back a bad report. But notice verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He didn't say, Well, I have good genes, and my parents lived to be a long time, and that's why I'm, I'm still living. He said, The Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 40 and 5 years. Now he was 85 years old. And notice verse 11, And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. God is never limited. And whatever that we need regarding strength, physically, spiritually, according to God's mercy and will and purpose, when we cry out to Him, He will never leave us. We will be able to continue on our journey, to complete the journey, and to enter the glory and honor of the kingdom and family of God And notice here what, again, Caleb said in verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain. It was a section. It was a portion of land. It was a portion of land that he desired. He said, give me this portion. I was promised this portion. Give it to me. I am appreciative of it. And nothing will prevent me from inheriting what God promised me back years ago at this point, which would have been 45 years prior to that. And so, brethren, like, like Caleb, we need to say each and every day of our lives, not just during the days of unleavened bread, say with thankfulness and gratefulness to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, We appreciate the calling. We appreciate your way. We appreciate your wonderful, awesome, good way of life. And our desire is that you give us the kingdom. Help us to never turn aside. Never for one moment. Not just somehow in these current days of unleavened bread, but for every day of our life that you permit us to live. By and through your mercy that you give us the strength to live, 
that we never forget the awesome calling and opportunity and responsibility to inherit what you have prepared for us. Moving then toward a close here in Romans, we read in chapter 2 an awesome, wonderful statement in verse 7. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing... Notice, brethren, we're not just seeking life, as it were. We're seeking glory and honor and immortality in the kingdom and family of God. For final scripture, turn a few pages forward to Romans chapter 8 and verses that we are quite familiar with, but that sum up in a very succinct way the will and purpose of God the Father and Jesus Christ for us as we continue and go forward on our journey out of sin. And so we read in verse 14 in Romans chapter 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we will also be glorified together. Again, not just life, but glory and honor and immortality. And we read then in verse 21, Because the creation itself shall be delivered from bondage and for the first fruits, with Jesus Christ being the first of the first fruits. And here it tells us the end result of our journey out of sin as we continue. That we will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so again, brethren, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our being, let's go forward to the glorious liberty that is coming, the complete total liberty for all eternal ages, the glorious liberty of being born into the kingdom and family of God at the return of Jesus Christ. And brethren, then at that time, our journey out of sin will be complete will be complete. Let's not falter, but in the power of God the Father and Jesus Christ, go forward doing the work to that glorious day.